friends in our Lord Jesus Christ. In bringing this child to be baptized, you are observing what the will of our Lord is. The commanded baptism, saying in the last chapter of Matthew, Go therefore, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And again, the Word of God says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for this promise is unto you and to your children. This child, as all others, was not born with faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, infants, though seemingly innocent, are, according to Scripture, by birth and nature sinful. They cannot then, by their own reason or by their own strength, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ or come to him. And yet scripture also makes it abundantly clear that faith in Christ for everyone is essential for salvation. For scripture says, in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. And our Lord Jesus himself said, no one comes unto the Father but by me. And therefore, we can never thank God enough that he has made holy baptism, that means by which he creates faith within the heart of a small child like this, for it's in baptism that he indeed makes children who otherwise could not of themselves believe, he makes them his own. And so the Apostle Paul says, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death. Today then, we will see God working here. We will see God regenerating that which is spiritually dead. For scripture calls baptism the washing of regeneration. Baptism is God's work, it's not ours. And through it, the Christian life of worship has its beginning. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Observe them, and see now the work and the grace of our merciful God. Lily June Elberti, received the sign of the Holy Cross both upon thy forehead and upon thy heart as a mark, a sign that you have been redeemed by Christ crucified. We pray Luther's baptismal prayer. Almighty and eternal God, according to your just judgment, you condemn the unbelieving world through the flood. And yet, according to your great mercy, you preserve believing Noah and his family, eight souls in all. You drowned hard-hearted Pharaoh and all of his hosts in the Red Sea. And yet you led your people Israel through the water and dry ground, foreshadowing this washing of your holy baptism. Through baptism in the Jordan of your beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, you sanctified and instituted all waters to be a blessed flood and a lavish washing away of sin. We pray then that you would behold Lily June, according to your boundless mercy, that you bless her with true faith by the Holy Spirit, that through this saving flood, all sin in her, which has been inherited from Adam, and which she herself has committed since, would be drowned and die. Grant that she may be kept safe and secure in the holy ark of your church, being separated from the multitude of unbelievers and serving your name at all times with a fervent spirit and a joyful hope so that with all believers in your promise she would be declared your saint and receive eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And now before baptizing Lily June into the triune God, I ask you parents and sponsors you're present to bear witness and publicly pledge that you will do these things. First of all, that you remember this child in your prayers. Secondly, that you will put her in mind of her holy baptism throughout the course of her years, that she wouldn't forget what God in his mercy has herein begun. And thirdly, sponsors, that you would lend your counsel and aid, especially should she lose her parents, that she may be brought up in the true knowledge and the worship of God, that she would be taught the Ten Commandments and the Creed, that she would know the Lord's Prayer, and that as she grows in her years, that you would place in her hands the sacred scriptures, and bring her to the services in God's house, providing for further instruction in the Christian faith that she may in due time come to the sacrament of Christ's body and blood. 
and thus abiding in baptismal grace throughout her life and in communion with the church, that she would grow up to lead a godly life to the praise and to the honor of Jesus Christ. This, then, do you intend gladly and willingly to do? If so, say yes with the help of God. Yes, yes with, with the help, help of God. God. God enable you to will and to do these works of his love, and may he fulfill all that you in your human weakness are unable to do. Sponsors, I now ask you to answer in the name and the stead of this child the questions that I'll address to her in order that we all might be reminded of what faith it is that the Holy Spirit even here through baptism now creates within this child's heart. Lily June Alberti, do you renounce the devil and all of his works and all of his ways? If so, say, I do renounce them. I do, I do renounce them. And do you believe in God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth? If so, say, I do. I do. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried, who descended into hell, and the third day rose again from the dead, who ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty and will come again to judge the living and the dead, if so say, I do. I do. And in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting, if so say, I do. I do. Will you be baptized then into this holy Christian faith, if so say, I will. Heavenly Father, through the washing of water and the word, you have caused this child to become your own. You have brought her into the holy faith, and we pray now that throughout the course of your years you might sustain her in the faith. As she reads your scriptures, as she learns of your love for her through your son, Jesus Christ, and as she finally then, in due time and after due instruction, knows also the, the wonders and the grace of your holy supper. To this end, keep her and bring her finally by your grace to life everlasting. We ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Scripture readings for this, the seventh Sunday after Pentecost, the Old Testament lesson from the 19th chapter of 
Leviticus, verses 9 through 18, reading as follows. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired servant shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God, I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Thanks be to God. The epistle lesson from the first chapter of Paul's letter to the Colossians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it bearing fruit and growing as it is also among you since the day that you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our fellow and beloved servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Thanks be to God. Please stand. St. Luke, the 10th chapter. 
Behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him, and departed, leaving him half dead. And now by chance a priest was going down that road. And when he saw uh, him, he passed by on the other side. And so likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him, and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Thanks be to God. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly set in the heavens. Oh, 
Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text for this morning from the Gospel as it was read, the 10th chapter of St. Luke, in particular these words, Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? This is our text, dear friends in Christ. The parable that you heard this morning, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Perhaps among all the parables that our Lord told, this is one of the most familiar of them all. In fact, in some research that's been done, by going to people on the street and asking them various questions, as you've seen before, it was found that 49% of the people interviewed off the street said they knew the story of the Good Samaritan. Of those 49%, indeed 45%, even felt they knew the story of the Good Samaritan well enough that if they were asked to repeat it and to speak it, they would be able to do so. And I suppose that's why it is that we have the name Good Samaritan that's all over the place in our society. On churches and on institutions of mercy, we have not that far from us our own Good Samaritan Hospital. We have, for example, in our legislation, Good Samaritan laws that protect you from being sued for attempting to help someone who's in need, though that at times is even challenged. The Good Samaritan parable, a very popular parable, a very well-known one, the most quoted parables of our Lord, and also one of the most misunderstood parables of our Lord, the misapplied parables of our Lord as well. You see, most folks think that the story of the Good Samaritan was intended by Jesus to talk about how we are to do good to one another, and thus you have Good Samaritan Hospitals, or the Good Samaritan Club, or the Good Samaritan Law. But that's not why Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan to teach us how we are to do good for one another. That's one of the side benefits, indeed, of the parable that he tells, but that's not the real reason that he was doing it. It's really a story that tells us a lot more. It tells us, and it tells the man in the text that asked about it, it told him about his inability to do the good that we should do. And then it tells about our attempt to excuse ourselves for not doing the good that we should do. That's indicated very much in the words that come right before the story of the Good Samaritan that we hear, where the text says, But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And then comes the story of the Good Samaritan. Attempting to justify himself. And who better to do that than a lawyer? You surely don't have to be a lawyer in order to attempt to justify yourself. We're all self-justifiers. At least from the time that we're small, we attempt to be self-justifiers. In fact, even St. Paul says that we have this innate ability within us to reason by first, he says, accusing and then excusing ourselves. That's self-justification. That's, that's saying, yes, we've done this or we haven't done this, but... Here's our reason for having done it or for not having done it. How often it happens in our own lives. That we are justly accused of a wrong, either by our own conscience or by someone else. How often it happens then that our minds immediately begin to justify our actions or our lack thereof. Without delay, our minds engage themselves in first gear to search for reasons and for excuses to justify our actions. We have become masters at even inventing reasons to justify our sinful behavior. From the time that we're little children, our minds 
get involved in that whole process of self-justification. You know it. A battle breaks up between brother and sister, between brother and brother, and the first thing that happens when parents come down to settle the situation is that we point fingers to one another and say, he made me do it, or she said that, and I responded. Passing the blame off to others, justifying ourselves. Teenagers attempt to justify their disobedience by reminding parents of some bill of rights that they have, which they and their peers found who knows where. Adults attempt to justify their sinful behavior, their breaking of laws, their breaking of contracts, their breaking of hearts, their breaking of homes, their breaking of promises to God and to man. Nations attempt to justify their hostilities toward each other and also their accommodation to and their concession to social evils of every kind. We're all a people who would justify ourselves and our sin. We're a race of self-justifiers. And the world and its children and its future are our victims. We even try to justify ourselves before God. And so there's little wonder that the lawyer in our text for today asks the question that he does when he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Because really the question is, what must I do, Jesus, then to justify myself? What must, emphasis being, I do? He rightly knew that he didn't simply have eternal life as though it was something that he was going to get by just being a human being. He rightly knew that it wasn't just a natural outcome of being human or a natural extension of his life here on earth that he was going to have the blessings of being with God forever. He knew that that wasn't the case or he would never have asked the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life or, in essence, to justify myself? He knew that something had to be done in order to put him into a position where he would be justified before God. His mistake, of course, was thinking that he was the one who could do it. That he could do something to get that justification that he so needed, and so he asked, what must I do? And to that direct question, Jesus gives a direct answer. And he says, I'll tell you what you must do. You must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, with all of your mind, you must love your neighbor as yourself. If you want to try to justify yourself in God's eyes, then that's what you've got to do. And immediately, the lawyer saw the trap into which he had gotten himself. There was no way that he had loved the Lord with all of his heart and his soul and his strength and mind. Many times he had placed his own desires before God's desires, and he knew that. Many times he had placed his own agenda before God's agenda. All too often he had tried to remake God into his image so that he could do the things that he wanted to do when he wanted to do them. So many times he had partitioned off his heart, giving God a small portion of it, but giving his desires, often sinful, passionate desires, the greatest portion his pleasures and his goals, his ambitions for life, the greater portion. If Jesus had simply said, you must love God with your heart and with your soul and with your mind, he might have been able to handle that. But no, Jesus adds that one three-letter word, the one little word, the word all. And that one little word is what did the self-justifying lawyer in all, that little word all, he emphasizes it by using it four times. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your might. You must love your neighbor as yourself. That's exactly the conclusion that our Lord wanted the lawyer to reach that no, he couldn't possibly justify himself. There was no possibility of him doing that. It's impossible for us to do what God requires us to do because of our sinful condition, it's impossible for us to gain salvation for ourselves to justify ourselves. And that's why St. Paul says we all have sinned and fall short 
of the glory of God. Jesus had that young lawyer in the corner where he wanted him to be. He had him stripped of any of his self-righteousness. He had him on his knees virtually. He had him on his knees stripped of self-righteousness knowing he couldn't earn heaven. Our Lord must have been all set to lovingly pick this lawyer up off his knees saying to him now that you finally looked away from yourself look upon me come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden with your sins look to me and I'll give you that rest that you so need and you so desire I'll give you my righteousness I'll take your sins upon myself I'll pay for them for you upon the cross and I'll give you my perfection my sinlessness rise up now go home be free. How much our Lord must have desired to share his righteousness with that man. But before he could, the lawyer had to entertain one more question, unfortunately trying to detract from what our Lord was so plainly telling him, just as though he were in a courtroom of some kind shouting out, objection, objection, so now this lawyer comes up with his subjection to what Jesus is freely offering him and freely giving him. And he says, desiring to justify himself, the man said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now let's not get all caught up with the answer to the man's question, who is my neighbor? Because often in considering this text, pastors and people do concentrate on who our neighbors are. But that's not the main point of this text. Let's not let the lawyer's question sidetrack us as he tried to do also with Jesus. We know who our neighbors are. He knew who his neighbors were. Neighbors are anyone who is nigh unto you, who is near unto you. And he knew that as well as us knowing. Don't be sidetracked by that second question. Who is my neighbor? So that you forget the lawyer's first question. What must I do? What must I do to justify myself? And friends, the good news of this great parable is simply this, that God has provided our justification for us. What must you do to have eternal life, to be justified? That's not the question to ask. The question to ask is what has God done? to justify me. Jesus Christ is your justification. Christ by his suffering and death is our justifier, God says. He is the one who justifies us and he is justified who has, St. Paul says, faith in Jesus Christ. We are justified, he says, as God's by God's grace through the redemption which is ours in Christ Jesus being justified by his blood, scripture says, we are saved from the wrath of God, God is our justifier. Don't try to justify yourself before God like the lawyer did. You can't possibly succeed no matter how good a guy you are. Consider, in fact, the words of Job of old. Job who said, if I try to justify myself, mine own mouth shall condemn me. And that's just what happened to the lawyer in our text for today. Trying to justify himself, he only dug his hole deeper and deeper as he discovered that he could not justify himself, that he didn't love the Lord completely like he should, and his own words ended up condemning him. Mark those words well, because that's what the story of the Good Samaritan is really all about. It's certainly not about us being able to justify ourselves by our own piety, and it's not even caring about one another as important as that is, as the story of the Good Samaritan tells. As Luther puts it, this whole account, Luther says, is really about what God has done for us. What Christ, who Luther says, is the real Good Samaritan. Luther identifies the Good Samaritan really as being a parable about Christ and what Christ has done for us as a Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan, what Christ has done to deliver us from Satan and his thugs who beat us down, who left us dead in the ditch, what Christ has done to breathe his life into us, 
And then to bathe us and to cleanse us through baptismal waters as he did for little Lily June this morning. To bear us into the inn of his church where we're cared for and where we're nourished on his very body and blood until he returns again and receives us then and there unto himself. You see, on the surface, it's not about morality. It's not even about piety and the piety of the Good Samaritan. It's about the justifying work of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Steinbeck's classic book, East of Eden, Liz Hamilton serves as the matriarch of faith in her family, for those of you who have read it. She's a pugnacious advocate of biblical morality. She knows her Bible well. She reads it daily. It's her guide for life. And yet, you see through reading the book that there are some real cracks in her pious veneer. Steinbeck describes her use of the Bible quite sublimely. And he says, quote, her total intellectual association was the Bible. In that one book, she had her history, she had her poetry, her knowledge of peoples and things, her ethics, her morals, her salvation. She never studied the Bible or dug deeply into it. She just read it. And finally, she came to a point where she knew it so well that she went right on reading it without listening. The final line is haunting. She went right on reading it without listening. When we hear today's scripture lesson, it's too easy to read it quickly and then to move on because of its wide familiarity within our culture. Oh, the Good Samaritan, oh yes, I know what that's all about. It's about being good to one another. Not at all, listen, listen carefully because it's what God in Christ, who is the Good Samaritan ultimately, has really done to justify you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
satisfy the desire of every living thing, and that we would recognize that it is you who richly and daily provides us with all that we need to support this body and life. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. For the one holy Christian and apostolic church throughout the world, that where she is faithful, she would remain steadfast, and where she is in need of reform, that your Holy Spirit would work it. Be with the delegates of our Synod and Convention as they meet this week in Houston. Guide them in their decisions, that your will is accomplished in your church for the good of your holy people, Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. For the armed forces of our nation as they serve in hostile places, that you, our great defender, would protect them, grant them courage in battle, and bring a quick end to the hostilities in which they engage to defend us, Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. For the educational institutions of our nation, that they may seek to know and embrace and impart truth and every civil virtue needed for the preservation of an orderly society. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. For the good and honest businesses and industries of our land, that they may succeed in their endeavors and in their success provide employment to the currently employed and opportunities for the unemployed. Lord, in your mercy, Hear our prayer for our families, that our children may find security in the love and the devotion of their parents, and for the estate of marriage, that it may be protected from all who would suffer it to fail in their homes or society. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer for the newly baptized, especially little Lily June Alberti, that through the nurturing care of parents and sponsors and church, that she may be your own and confess you before the world all the days of her life. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. For the aged in our families and congregation, that our Heavenly Father would bless them with true comfort in body and soul, 
that those who serve the elderly in nursing homes would care for them with Christ-like compassion, and that the faithful would regularly visit them and encourage them with the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. For those who suffer ongoing bodily affliction, especially Jean Hammond, Sonia Heideman, Artis Miller, Hugh Ryan, Sean O'Brien, Dick Munch, the sister of Joe Phillips, who's been diagnosed with cancer. For those recovering from recent surgery, that the recovery of each would be complete and the hope of each would be confidently set upon the promises of Christ Jesus, Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. For the faithful discharge of our duties as stewards of gifts, which you have entrusted to our use, both here in our congregation and throughout the church, Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. Into your hands, O Lord, we commend them all for whom we pray, trusting in your mercy, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who has taught us to pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And leave us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, almighty and everlasting God, you have safely brought us to the beginning of this day. Defend us in the same with your mighty power, and grant that this day we fall into no sin, neither run into any kind of danger, but that all our doings, being ordered by your governance, may be righteous in your sight. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, be and abide with you all. Amen.